Welcome to the Opera Biz Podcast, uncut and unfiltered, where we hang out with opera professionals and talk about life inside the industry. I'm your host, Daniel Welch. Start chatting. Okay. <laughs> what do you want to talk about? Uh, so let's, let's. I'm so glad to be a part of this. Thank I'm you really, so, so much for I'm having me. I'm very pleased that you, you agreed to uh, do this for multiple reasons. One of them being that there are so many men in this business which I think is amazing considering how many female singers there are, <laughs> that the guys seem to be the ones who are ready to just jump out there and talk about the industry and that kind of thing. And there, need to, there needs to be, a, in my mind, a more consistent and stronger female presence in the industry. And so it's really great when I have somebody that wants to come on and, and chat about just their life in the world in general that's, that's a woman because that's, we, we need we need women we need women we do we really really do it's true but also because I really enjoy uh, I mean I've enjoyed many of your performances over the past and um, and you have unique interpretations for your music and your your characters and you bring something specifically to the table that to you Mm -hmm. rather than being kind of a well this is what we always do for Musetta you know right right well I think that's essential It, it it I feel like if it's just a general generalized version of it, it's less effective, and really anybody can do it. So why? Exactly. You know, I, I just, for me, um, and some people like it, and some people don't, and that that I've had to learn to accept over the years. Absolutely. But uh, and that's fine with me. I, but I'd rather put out something that is real, that's from from my inner self. Um, that I can stand behind yeah. and uh, that'll make me laugh or that makes me cry or that makes me feel something um, as a character. And I, I really enjoyed exploring characters that way. And it's often made me go into a place I may not have expected to go, yeah. um, having seen other interpretations first. or right. So that's been interesting over the years. Um, I mean, anything yeah. that evokes a response is the whole reason that we're either experiencing or taking part in an art form. Mm-hmm. So when it's just the same old stuff day in and day out, especially when it's part of kind of the standard opera canon. Yes, and when there's, a, there's so much availability online, yeah. there's so, you can really, if you wanted to see anything right now, you could see it. Um, so you have to come up with something that is very real and personal, but perhaps a different take on something or yeah. think through it and perhaps do it in a different way. They've just done this really interesting King Lear with a female lead. Yes. Brilliant. I think that's such a great idea and unexpected or, right. you know, to do the all, to do the all male Midsummer Night's Dream. Brilliant. I love that idea. Yeah. Or, you know, just to take a character who may be played um, as, as a, um, a comedic effect to make them a dramatic effect or have a dramatic character become a comedic effect. I mean, it's a, it's an interesting thought process or you know I, I just did this um Don Giovanni at mm. at the Metropolitan Opera which was an amazing amazing experience I love um I loved working on it and I got to work with Peter Mattei who mm. to me is the quintessential Don Giovanni he is yeah. he sings it so incredibly beautifully and his presence on stage is like an animal. He's com- he, you never know what he's going to do, and you can't take your eyes off him. <laughs> and it's always different. Yeah. And it can be different in, in every way. It can be louder or softer or funnier or sadder or on the left or on the right. Like You never, ever know where he's going to be and what he's going to do. So you have to be strong in your character so that you can respond as your character would to whatever he will do. Yeah. And... It's fun, and it's it's definitely it, it tests you in a lot of ways. But it um, but it, it was a fascinating experience to to work with him, especially in that 
in that uh, setting. I remember talking to Serena Malfi, mm-hmm. and I think I saw either opening night or the second show. It was really really early on in yeah. the run, and uh, you know he picks her up and carries her off. And she's like, I was not expecting that. Didn't know, like, we had talked about it and we had done it really briefly, but not, like, carrying me around for 35, 45 seconds on stage. <laughs> she's like, and it, it kept me on my toes. Working with him, you never, never You did. never know. I appreciate that because that's part of the reason I go to live shows. Is to, <laughs> <laughs> and to see the terror in the eyes of people on stage. Or just, you know, if you, see a, if you see multiple shows in the run and you don't end up seeing the exact same thing. You never see the exact same thing. Yeah. It's always interesting. I, I never like going to opening night of a show because it's always a little bit safe, a little yeah. bit guarded. And um, it feels like I always love going to a show later in the run when people really get it going and really figure it out. And uh, yeah, I, I was that's why that. I specifically went to multiple versions of Marnie for that reason, because I had been at the dress, the, yes. the last dress. And then I wanted to kind of see, see some stuff and being friends with Chris, I wanted to we chatted quite a bit about it, but I ended up having a great conversation right in the middle of the run with Isabel mm-hmm. about her character arc. And she's like, come to the last show. And we've, we've changed some stuff. You're going to see a little bit more because doing a new work, already you're already constantly in transition and, and right. kind of finding the footing of a character. And, right. Um, and kind of the emotions that you're going to go through and all that kind of stuff. And it was. It was, a, it was a, I wouldn't say a very different portrayal mm-hmm. from Dress to the last show, but there were definitely changes that were made for distinct reasons that she settled into, and Chris mm-hmm. did the same thing. Um, but you know, let's go back to the the Giovanni. Was this your first Elvira? No, it was, it was my at the Met. Yes, at the Met. Yeah, at the Met was my first Elvira. I sang it. Um, I covered it when I was an apprentice at the Santa Fe Opera, mm-hmm. and then a couple years later, I came back and sang Elvira at the Santa Fe Opera, okay. which I absolutely loved. Um, it was a Chaz Raider Sheba production. It was all red, and I was in fuchsia, so, so it was just a very bright um, experience. But um, no, that was. I love the character. I find her so fascinating. Um, I, I think she's so strong and is kind of the perfect um, foil for Giovanni. Um, she's the only character, in my, from my understanding, she's the only character who doesn't lie yeah. in the entire piece. And she's the one they all make fun of. Right. <laughs> and then, but she's the truthful one. And uh, there's so many ways to play her. You could play her sad or mad or, you know, just as sexy as he is. Or you can play all these different ways of, of doing it. But at the end of the day, she never stops saying you, you were wrong. You yeah. were wrong. You know, and, and making him, not letting him off the hook. He gets off the hook with everybody else, but not with her. Yeah. How did I mean, you you played her in a in a way that was softer than a lot of the versions we see? You didn't play her as crazy as I don't yelling think she's and, crazy, right? And and the libretto discusses very specifically when uh, Donana and Ottavio refer to you, like is this the face of somebody who's crazy? Exactly. No, the the crazy reference that a lot of people get is Leparello's comment later on. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, she went around screaming for hours and then she fell asleep. And you know, Leporello very much panders to Giovanni in many, many yeah, different ways. Yeah, is so. kind of his fixer. He's yeah. kind of his spinner. He's you know, his he fixer, kind of... he's kind of his yes man. He's... Yeah. And so, so it makes sense for him to say that, oh, of course she's crazy. Right. And I think, I think Elvira is an elegant woman and I think, um, and, I, and I, 
I also, as just as a as an actor, I find playing one side of a person all night long very boring. Yeah. I, I would not. Nobody is angry all the time. Right. You know, the, even the angriest person in the world is not angry all the time. Right. And there are moments. In fact, many many moments where she is soft or sad or even jovial or happy or feeling sexy and and all these different sides to her. That, and, and if you play those more, the anger becomes more effective. Mm -hmm. If it's anger all the time, then it's just, it just dulls it down and makes it generalized. And yeah. And, you know, I mean, you you were with uh, Adam Plahetka oh in this. Oh, my gosh, yeah. And he does Bufa so well. He does. That it, it almost would have felt wrong to have... Tried to do that, too? Yes. Yeah, no, no. He, or he, or you know, to vice right. versa, turn around and snap at him. You yes, know, because that's his. He kind of he diffuses situations. He does. He is brilliant at that character. I'm. I'm. We're doing um, the Marriage of Figaro next year. Yeah. I'm so so excited for that exact reason because he's so. He does Buffo so well. It's it's thoughtful and it's real and it's funny without trying to be funny. Yes. He, he really rides that line really well. So kind of let's go back. So I like to ask singers kind of how they how they ended up where they are now. Um, and obviously an abridged version because that's years in the making. Yes. But what was your path to a professional opera career, and especially at this level? I was. So I was. I'm from Alabama, um, which does not have a thriving opera community. Um, there, there are some really incredible classical musicians that mm -hmm. are in my hometown, and I was incredibly fortunate to know them. But um, it's not a place that really supports opera or really you, you go you, it's not opera mecca right yeah. people don't travel to go to alabama to go see something so i grew up there and and um i ended up because of my high school guidance counselor suggested it i ended up applying to juilliard on a whim never expecting to do music as a career it was more of a you know this is an incredible opportunity that i could do for a year or get an undergraduate degree and then go do something else i mm. never I didn't grow up saying I want to be an opera singer. Yeah, I did say I want to be a country singer for like a solid year, but I didn't. <laughs> I didn't grow up. You know, I loved classical music. I played piano and I was in the choir and stuff, but it was not thought of. I didn't think of it as a career. Yeah. And then um, I went to Juilliard and I almost transferred out a couple of times because it was definitely a different kind of world than mm. I was used to, and I. But then I found my way. They they really supported me in, in making my own kind of education. I did a summer study and I did some classes at Columbia and they let me kind of do a combined undergrad master's thing. Like they really were helpful in letting me explore different ways of doing it. And mm -hmm. um, I found, I really found a wonderful, uh, I had a great experience there academically because of that. And, um, and, and then after that, I kind of said, all right, let's just see what happens. I'm going to throw my hand in the ring and see what happens. And so that's what happened. I started working and I got, and I, I was very fortunate that I won some competitions early on, mm -hmm. which helped a lot. And, and competitions are hard and they're finicky and you never know. And um, I was well prepared and there were a lot of other people who were well prepared and it would just happen to go my way. And I'm incredibly grateful because I think, um, I'm so so glad that my life has kind of taken this turn into this world that I didn't even really know when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I began a career in it. I did my I was an intern at the Lyric Opera of Chicago. I was a young artist there, 
for two years, and then I became a professional opera singer. <laughs> and I started traveling, and I, I figured out taxes, and I you know did that whole thing. And then um, I then I met a man, and I got married, who's a wonderful man. And with him came two wonderful children. So, and we've had two since then. So now in the span of three or four years, I have gone from being single to being a married mother of four. <laughs> so, um, and I'm still working and I'm still um, traveling. I'm actually about to, to leave next week to, to um, travel for a month. And it's, you know, it's definitely a different experience. Yeah. But I'm so grateful to have this world that is... Um, is an, full of incredible people and great, great music. It makes me so happy. Yeah. When you uh, when you went to Juilliard, did you immediately delve strictly into the classical stuff, or did you kind of foresee something else? Or well, at Juilliard, they only teach the classical stuff. Yeah. They have a jazz division now. It got started right after I was there, or maybe like the last year I was there, it was okay. starting, or so, it was kind of like that, and. Um, I mean, we did. We really did only classical music um, and art song, uh, art song and opera, and that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you're really going there, that's a lot of stuff. Um, in a way, I wish that we'd had an opportunity to explore other kinds of music mm -hmm. with leaders in the industry, like to explore bluegrass or explore jazz or explore musical theater or explore different kinds, just to kind of open your ears a little bit more and, mm -hmm. and, and kind of get that, get those um, nerves about scatting or nerves about you know, improvising out of the way. Yeah. Um, it would be, it would be really interesting to, to have had that experience because I see the world today and I see it coming closer and more together and I see a lot more uh, fusion mm -hmm. in music. And Definitely. Yeah, and so it would, for me, that was one part of education that I've had to kind of figure out over the years, um, and I'm still exploring. But that that's one thing I wish we had had. There are a lot of singers that have a hard time looking at one thing on the page and then doing something else, or being like, oh, we, we tweaked that, we changed that. But if you have the mentality that there's a lot that you can kind of give and take. Right. It's, but e also, it's easy to, to pull away from that and be like, oh, we do this here, or for this cadenza... Absolutely. I'm going to have some fun with it. Or, and, or be comfortable changing it from night to night. Yeah, yes. You know, Erin Morley does that when she does yeah. Olympia, when she sings Olympia and Tales of Hoffman. She does different cadenzas every night. That's awesome. And she's amazing. She's absolutely amazing. It's so interesting. Also, practically speaking, in order to get a career these days, mm -hmm. you may have to piece together certain things that you might not have had to in the past. I mean, you take a singer like the great Ellie Ameling, who is a Dutch soprano who made her life singing art song. Mm -hmm. That's all she did. And I think she may have sung one opera role completely on stage. I think she did a couple other concert versions of like The Marriage of Figaro. Yeah. But I think that was it. She sang mostly art song recitals. Yeah. <laughs> Nowadays, that is not possible. I don't know of a singer who can make a career only on art song recitals. Right. And now there are fewer singers who can make a career only in opera and art song. Right. That's becoming less and less of a thing. And so it's just you have to become more adaptable mm -hmm. and figure out where you know where your voice and your personality thrive 
that may or may not include classical music. Yeah. What are some standout moments of your career that have, have either been like real highlights or um, stuff that popped up that you didn't expect, whether it was on stage or in prep or whatever? Because <laughs> <laughs> one of the things we love about live theater, which falls into opera, is that like you never know how was, things are going to go yeah. or you end up being really surprised by a production or something like that. It's true. You never really know how it's going to go. I mean, you can rehearse something until the cows come home and it just never is exactly the same every time. Um, one of the funniest things that's happened was actually with, with our great friend, Chris Maltman, we were doing deflator mouse together and he was singing Eisenstein and I was singing Rosalinda and we get to the end and he, the, his character says, and I am Eisenstein. And he takes off his hat and in the dress rehearsal, he took off his hat and wig with it. <laughs> and you could see, like, but he doesn't really have a lot of hair. And so right. it just completely, the whole thing came off. And the entire audience burst out laughing. And it was very funny. He was so embarrassed. All the cast burst out laughing. It was, And it yet was, it totally works. It totally works. <laughs> it was so funny. Yeah. No, there have been some highs and some lows. It has been a crazy time. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's been a crazy experience, uh, you know. I sang for the Westminster Dog Show, which was one of the highlights of, I absolutely loved it. <laughs> I sang the national anthem and all the dogs started barking. And, That's awesome. And I was, like, I'm ta I was like, I'm taking this as a compliment. I'm taking it as a compliment. 100%. Yeah. Or, um, goodness, I got to sing for the 25th anniversary of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's appointment to the, to the Supreme Court mm -hmm. and her 80th, 85th birthday which was a tremendous honor. I loved that. I got to sing at the Supreme Court, which is amazing. What are some specific challenges that caught you by surprise, whether it was role prep? To me, opera roles, the first time you do them, are incredibly intimidating, no matter the role. Mm -hmm. I mean, I sang Diana in Iphigenie en Tauride, and that was like one line. <laughs> it's like one page of the book thing, and that was incredibly intimidating. Yeah. Just because you don't know it, and it, it, you know, you're just starting to learn it. But I mean, I'm I'm prepping um, the I'm prepping Katya Kabanova by Janacek. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't speak Czech, so yeah. I you know for the last six months I have been doing the IPA and and going back and 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 really learning syllable by syllable the Czech, and then word by word, and then sentence by sentence, and trying to make it feel idiomatic to me, and um, that has been quite the journey. And also musically, it's very challenging, and so mm -hmm. just try to get that to feel more natural. I, mean, I still have a year to get it together, but it's, you know, but to do it right, to make yeah. it feel good to me, cramming stuff is never, ever a good idea in my world, uh, for, for myself. Mm -hmm. I've learned the hard way that that's, it's just not fun for anybody, yeah. you know? And yeah. so I, I always prefer to be um, more prepared than not. It's, it's that answer right there that's the reason I asked this question is because there isn't a point as a professional where all of a sudden everything just, you flip a switch and everything just automatically comes to you. Like you still have to put the time in. You still have to put the effort into oh, yeah. learning everything. And I think it's a good reminder for young singers, no matter what level you're singing at, you still have to prep. And prep is the thing you've got control over. Who is the, who is the famous football coach, Vince? Um, Lombardi, that's it, Vince Lombardi. Vince Lombardi. He, I think a lot about 
his little motto, which is um, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Yeah. And it's true. You know, nobody's above, nobody's physically or mentally above needing to to do the grunt work. And um, yeah, there's a certain point where you can rely on your talent a couple of times, but that doesn't feel good. Yeah. And also it hurts you in the long run. And it's it's nice for your colleagues if you're prepared. It's yeah. also at the end of the day also everybody's doing this to have a great experience, a great musical experience and kind of see what we can do with this. I mean, you know, let's say you're doing let's say you're doing the Marriage of Figaro and tons of recit, but if you come prepared, you can play and you could try different things. Yes. And like for example in this this Don Giovanni that I just did, if I wasn't prepared and had those words in my body totally ready to go, I would have blinked when, you know, the, the Don Giovanni did something different. Mm-hmm. And, I, and that you can't do that. That makes the whole thing come down. Yeah. And you don't want to only be able to do what you plan in rehearsal. You want to be able to do what you plan in rehearsal and, and then. then. Yeah. And so... I, it's more fun. It's more fun, and everybody's more relaxed and happier. So that's always a good, a good thing. No, so you're doing you just did Giovanni. You're doing Figaro next season. Um, if you had, if you could sing like any role right now, like <laughs> like what what are like what are those like goal roles for that's you? That's so like, funny. Oh, that's that's always right that's here. always a question that people ask. And that's why I ask it because everybody so many, asks it at, at like dinner parties or yeah. when you it's like what is the role you love to sing the most or what is the role you've always wanted to do, and I, you know, you, sometimes it's the role you're working on because yeah. you have to just be focused on that. So right now the countess is high on my list. Yeah, but it's like the. I don't know. I've fallen in love with so many roles for different reasons. Mm-hmm. It really depends on the day. It feels like when you say, what is your favorite kind of wine? You're like, well, what temperature is it outside? I'm not going to go and have a, you know, a glass of rosé at Christmas. Or I'm not going to go and have this huge, massive you know, um, Super Tuscan in July in Santa Fe. Like It's just not... For me personally, yeah. find what you love on, in a particular moment, and or for a particular reason. Like yeah. there are roles that I just adore. I like. I, I love. Um, I love Lucia. Mm-hmm. I love Traviata. I love um, Vatsek. I love Vatsek. I love Rosen Cavalier. I love Marriage of Figaro. I love Agrippina. Mm-hmm. I love Alcina. Love Rodolinda. I love like, like there's so many so many pieces that I just I loved La Mort de Loin. I love love loved La Mort de Loin. I loved. Um, it's so hard because I love what I do. I really love what I do, and so I can't. I can't just say that. I can't just say one. It, I think that's a no- great answer to that question for exactly that reason. I don't think that you need to be tethered to one specific thing or a goal. That, no, you know, I just I love great music. I love great music. And there are certain things that I have sung before that I probably won't sing again. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are certain things that I couldn't sing 10 years ago or shouldn't have sung 10 years ago. <laughs> and will sing well in 10 years. Yeah. Happily so, and I'm I'm just 
I love great music and I love when it feels good. And that's kind of where, where I am. Yeah. I love that answer. I think that's a fantastic. So that's answer. all I got. <laughs> that's great. No, that's, that's really good because you know, if you find the joy in what you're working on now, it, it adds that much more vitality to that role, to the music you're learning and you're engaged in the present in what you're working on rather than saying, this is just a stepping stone to get to here. I have never thought about my career that way. I know that many people in many, many fields, many, many careers, yeah. in different kinds of careers, have in their mind, if I do this, then I will get this, and then I can do this, and then I can go there. 100%. I have never, ever thought about my life or my career in those terms, ever, ever. I have done things because they seem and they feel good and they feel like good experiences for that moment. Mm -hmm. But I have never had a lifetime goal of, I have to sing at the Metropolitan Opera, or I have to sing at the Paris Opera, or I have to sing, I don't have that. I, it has been an incredible journey and the things that I have been able to do and the experiences I've been able to have, I would never have been able to dream. If you'd asked me to name them at 17, no way. Mm -hmm. And so not having those goals has made the whole world feel possible. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And, and that my, my personal life is the same way. I never, I never sat down and said, well, I want to, I want to get married and I want to be a stepmom and I want to have babies and I want to, you know, keep my job. And I went like, I never thought about it that way. I met a man who I loved and wanted to marry. You know, I've been in love before. I've had wonderful relationships in my life. And, but this is a person that I wanted to build a life with. Mm -hmm. And I, I knew that the minute I met him and together we're doing that, but it wasn't a goal in my head of a, a box to check so that I could do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And career-wise, it's exactly the same thing. And I think that this is my own brain, but it's so. Yeah. So I I don't have. I don't have a particular place or particular role, that, I would like to do. I, interestingly, there are experiences that I cherish. Um, that are that are coming up that I'm really excited about. Like next year, I'm singing my final, as for as of now. I mean, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? But yeah. right now, in my thinking, it'll be my last musetta at the Met, mm -hmm. um, and I'll be retiring the role. And that is going to be very special to me. That production premiered the year I was born. It's what I made my Met debut singing. It's what my first professional job was singing Musetta, operatic job, was singing Musetta in La Boheme at Madison Opera in Wisconsin. Yeah. So that role has lived with me for a long time. Yeah. And so that for me will be a very special moment. Um, and I value that and I cherish that, but I didn't plan that, you know? Yeah. I think that's a very healthy mindset because it changes your concepts of success rather than saying that if I don't hit this goal right here, I'm not successful. Yeah. But finding success in different, not roles that you play, but, but different levels in your career. Um, I find it to be easier. It's an easier way to be happy with the work that you're doing because there's, there are so many people that say that I'm successful when I sing at the Met. Like that's, that's my success goal. Um, I know so many successful singers who do not sing at the Met. Exactly. 
and and it's just success defined in your own terms and I think that's very important as an artist. It's very important. To be able to say, this is what success means to me. And... Yes. Well, yeah. But what we do is so subjective that every single day, every single show, every single production, every single recital, everything, you have to shore up yourself to say, I feel comfortable with what I'm doing. It's like an audition. I feel comfortable with who I am. I feel comfortable with what I'm doing. I feel comfortable with the way I'm interpreting this part. I feel comfortable with the way I'm singing it. That's my version. Go criticize it, review it, play it over and over again, analyze it, you know, say all the horrible things about it, say all the great things about it, but that's out of me and it doesn't affect my opinion about what I was able to do. I Mm -hmm. feel like if I prepared well, I sang well, I felt good, I gave a true offering from myself, that's all I can do on that particular day. And to me, that is success. And getting to work with amazing wonderful people and valuing that mm-hmm. is and getting to sing this incredible music it's not all fun in fact many days it's not fun and many days it's the slog and many days you got to figure it out but it's the 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 success to me is having a great friend who happens to be a conductor call and say let's do this piece let's get it done and we have this great musical experience that success mm-hmm. the dollar signs Anybody who's in this business for money, it's, they need to go find something else yeah. to do because it's not about that. And if it becomes about that, you'll never feel successful. Right. That's the wrong reason to be singing opera. It's absolutely <laughs> the wrong reason. Yeah. Also, it'll affect your singing. Yeah. You know, you become that singer. and you, it, it, it all comes out when you sing. You can't hide anything when you're singing. That's true. You know, so, yeah. One more reason I like opera like it, it's just it's bare and it can be very raw and it's everything is exposed and that's uh, one reason why criticism hurts sometimes because yeah, it's personal absolutely and that's hard it's hard to, to ha- hear that i mean you know i've cried myself to sleep sometimes having read these some of the reviews and yeah it hurts so i don't read them anymore <laughs> I was just gonna, oh, that was my next question do you ever get to a point where you just stop reading reviews good yeah and just stop reading them because at the end of the day you have to believe the good ones and you have to believe the bad ones or just don't read them at all. Like, yeah. I, I don't do this for them. I do this, um, I do this for my children. I do this for the people who want to hear me sing and I do this because it makes me very happy. And, you know, my husband likes me better when I'm working. <laughs> and so, no, it's good. It's, it's really good. So let's go back to, you, you talked, you brought up working on this role for the Janacek. Right. Um, what are what is your process with learning a new role? I would assume by now, for the most part, you've got kind of a groove down. And this is this is more for the the listeners that I have that are you know undergrad, grad school that can. I mean, you can always take hints and helps from people who have yeah. been there and are still doing it. But well, for what's your workflow? My workflow, goodness. And not everyone has one. It yeah, can, no, I it have It can radically one. depend on the role. But. It does depend on the role. It depends on the language. Mm-hmm. I'm much, me personally, I'm much more comfortable. And things, I learn things quicker in French, German, or Italian, or yeah. English. Um, this role is in Czech. And so it's taking me longer. And it's awesome because I'm really learning it very, very well, which yeah. I'm so grateful for. But it's, you know, I have, I found a Czech coach who will sit and talk to me syllable by syllable over and over again to really work through it. And that has been huge for me. 
we do Skype sessions and we try and figure, figure that out. Um, but so I'll do, I'll, I translate the role. First of all, if it's not in English, I'll translate the role. Then I'll go through the music. Then I'll put it together and learn it. Um, during that process, I may listen to it once mm -hmm. or twice just to get a sense of it. Once I learn the role myself, then I'll watch a few interpretations just to kind of get what other people have done. But before I do that, I want to make sure that I have thought a lot about the character and then I'll leave it alone. I'll just sit with myself with the character and then go into the rehearsal room and work on it with the director. And that's kind of how, how it comes many, many nights when I'm learning a role and it's just, you know, repetition, I will pour myself a glass of red wine and put it on the piano and sit there for an hour and just do it and sit and, you know, play my part, sing my part. That's kind of how I jam. And I love, I love that. Mm -hmm. So it's that you have to, have to kind of really appreciate and enjoy the process. Because yeah. Because that process can, can be very involved and it's not a fast process by any means. It's not a fast process. And, but the performing of an opera is really fun. Yeah. But to be honest, um, that's not the most fun for me. I love, I love learning different phrases and languages. I love learning different languages. I love learning about different cultures, different music, music worlds with different music languages. Like I was studying Wozzeck. I was studying the third act of Wozzeck because I did this really wonderfully programmed concert that included just the third act of Wozzeck. Nice. And, um, and that was a tough one to learn. And I, rem I remember it took me a solid week just to get into that musical language. And then once you figure it out, it's so clear. You're like, oh, I get, you know. And that, that moment is really, really fun. Yeah. I love that moment. It's a little easier to understand, you know, Mozart's musical language because we've all heard it so much over yes. our lifetimes. But, I mean, you mentioned Marnie earlier. Nico Muli's language, that is a... That's a new language that people are hearing for the first time. Yeah. And so you have to sit there and, and get into that sound world and get into that language. And you, then you hear how brilliant it is. I mean, he's a wonderful composer. Yeah. So I've, um, that for me, that process for me is really exciting. Yeah. Do you do, you do much um, new music? I love new music. I love new music. When I was in college, I sang for the composer's class. Yeah. I was their accompanist and I loved it because I just kind of got to try new stuff and see what they're, you know, what was going on. And I have a little chamber music festival in Alabama that we're celebrating our 10th year this year. Congrats. That's awesome. Oof. And uh, thank you. It's really great. And I'm really excited about it. But every year we commission a piece because my co-founder is a bassoonist. Mm -hmm. And there's only one piece written for soprano, bassoon and piano. It's by Charpentier, and it um, we've done it just so many times that we decided we needed just to start commissioning works. <laughs> and so, so every year we commission a piece, and it doesn't have to be just for that combination, but it does have to include soprano and bassoon, yeah. which always makes the composer laugh. Right. But at the end of the day, it, we get really interesting, great new music that we would never have conceived of before. I also love... I love new music because it gives voice to people um, from today. Like I'm doing this 
very interesting project. Um, it, it was a song cycle that was written for me and Craig Terry, um, who's a pianist. Um, we were doing a recital tour and I wanted to do something new. And I love the music of Philip Lasser, who um, is a professor at, at Juilliard. And I just was like, I, I called him up and I said, would you write something for me? And he said, sure, go ahead. I, I, you know, look around for some poetry that inspires you. So of course I went to like Fairland and I went to like Langston Hughes and people that are really are evocative and speak to me. And, and then I was talking to Craig and he said, you know, if you don't find anybody, I have this cousin that wrote a poetry. And then I was like, okay, all right, well, sure, I'll take a look. And totally thinking, oh, it's just going to, you know, you never know. Right. He sends me this book of poetry, and it was beautiful. It was gorgeous. And I thought, oh, this is really beautiful. So I sent it on to Dr. Lasser, and I said, you know, check this out. Let me know what you think. And he found four poems that he wanted to set. We then found out from Craig that this person was his cousin who lived in Lebanon, Tennessee, very small town. And she had a sister and both she and her sister were born with muscular dystrophy were in wheelchairs their whole lives. And she went to um, Middle Tennessee State University and got her undergrad degree in English literature, applied for uh, a grad degree there and was denied because they didn't have any access for disabled people and she wasn't able to go anywhere else. So, because her life was in, was there. Yeah. And one of the teachers there suggested that she call a senator and talk to them about it. And so she called the senator in Tennessee, one of the senators in Tennessee, and he um, suggested they start writing a bill and they started writing the bill that would later become the American for Disabilities Act. And she wow. and that senator went and um, testified for Congress. And that's just so exciting to be able to give this incredible... And, and she died when she was, I think she was 33, 32, 33. And to read her poetry uh, and to know what her life was, she had lived a, such a full life with so many colors, so many experiences you know, she was in love and she was raunchy and she was hilarious and she was sensitive and she was all these wonderful, th wonderful things like, like everybody is. Yeah. But it was so wonderful to give her words voice. And so this year, so there's a song cycle about it and then called in colors of feelings. And we decided to make a chamber version of it. Um, this year to celebrate our 10th year. So it'll be for bassoon and soprano. <laughs> and then it will definitely have other, other instruments. Um, but it'll also include piano and Craig will get to play. And it's just going to be a very meaningful experience for all of us yeah. um, involved. And so the, I love new music for that reason. I love to see, you never know what you're going to get. Yeah. And it can be quite moving. Yeah. I always loved interacting with composers. Um, on new stuff and just feeling out the evolution of a piece from like from the beginning to first performance is just a very unique experience. That yes. While I really, really, truly enjoyed performing Mozart and, you know, other classic operas, there's still something that's really unique about a piece that's still in the middle of its evolution 
Yeah, and or, you can't... Or early on in its evolution. You can't ask Mozart what he meant by this marking. Right. And if somebody's sitting in the room, you can go up and ask them, you know? Right. And that when I got to sing um, Le Mort de Blanc with Kaya Sariaho, she was in that rehearsal room every day, and I got to walk up to her and say, okay, what did you mean by straight tone? Do you want it like this, or do you want it like this? Or do you, you know, there were a couple of note questions I had for her. Do you want this note, or do you want this note? And she, she was always right there, totally you know, wanting to, to figure it out. And it was great to be able to talk to her about it. Yeah. And then you're the one, especially if it's a premiere, you're the one uh, kind of starting traditions. You know, um, I, it always, when I was younger, it scared the hell out of me to be the first one to perform a piece because I learned a lot of stuff by ear. Uh-huh. And there was no reference whatsoever. It's the best way to do it, though, because then you're never compared to anybody. Exactly. I mean, I'm about to sing The Countess, and who everybody sung The Countess. <laughs> I mean, and they're like, oh, you're a little bit more like Kiri, or a little more like Renee, or more Leontine. I mean, just come on. It's yeah, like all no. these incredible women have sung this role, and all I can do is what I can do that day, and that's it. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So what is, um, what's up next for you, are you working much this summer? Are you kind of taking your summer? I'm I'm taking a kind of a not so hard summer this summer. I'm doing, um, well, I say that, and I'm about to go do the Marriage of Figaro um, in Cincinnati. Okay. And then I'm doing a recital of um, Clara Schumann, Fanny Mendelssohn, and Alma Mahler um, for the Mostly Mozart Festival here in New yeah. York. And then I'm going to California uh, to do uh, a chamber version of the Mahler's Fourth Symphony and the um, uh, Baudelaire songs. And then I'm doing my 10th anniversary of our Tanner Music Festival. Yeah. Um, and also, but this summer I'm, I am taking some time because my children are young. I, I, we have four all together um, and they're all in school. And But you know, my youngest is a year and a half old and I just really wanna, it's probably my last chance to really be able to be here with, with them. Because we travel a lot for our yeah. jobs and I want to try and be here as much as I can. And what do you have lined up for the 2019-2020 season? 2019-2020. You, you're, you're rapping Musetta. You're retiring her. I'm doing the last... I'm doing Musetta. I'm singing uh, Countess and the Marriage of Figaro mm-hmm. and Katja Cabanova. And all of those are at the Metropolitan Opera. I'm singing the John Adams piece El Nino with the Houston Symphony. Okay. Which is cool. Yeah. I'm doing a couple of recitals, uh, uh, rivaling divas with... Um, Boston Baroque, not Boston Baroque, sorry, excuse me, Music of the Baroque in Chicago. Okay. With Jane Glover, who I love. Um, which, with Jane Archibald, who's an amazing soprano. And I'm sure she'll win every battle, but uh, <laughs> she's delightful. So that'll be a lot of fun. And I'm singing the Misa Solemnus with the Atlanta Symphony. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. which is, for me is great because I'm close, it'll, I'll be close to home. They do yep. a couple concerts in Atlanta and one at Carnegie Hall. And so, you know, I'll get to see my family while I'm down there. Excellent. Yeah. Sounds like a fun season. You got a good a good mix of rep. Yeah, I try really hard to. I don't. I don't. I don't want to just do opera. I've never wanted to just do opera. That was. That's the one I do. I, I love doing recitals and I love doing um, concert work. I just love the music and I love operatic music too. It's just a different. It's a different thing. And um, I don't know. I've always been drawn to the to the concert work first. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for. Thank you. I hope it was helpful. For more information about today's guest, visit our website at operabizpodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our show with two interview episodes and two social media soundbites each month. 
You can find me directly on Instagram at the beard and lens and the podcast Instagram is at opera biz. Thanks for listening to the opera biz podcast.